Hey, that was exuberant worship this morning, wasn't it? Thank you, worship team. Yeah, I needed my cowboy boots and my bandana this morning. That was awesome. There's time for songs that are deep and heavy and contemplative, and then there are songs which are also deep and contemplative but are delightful and enjoyable to express and to sing. And we shouldn't feel guilty if we begin to feel in our hearts that we're actually having fun at worship. We're designed to delight. You know that? We are designed to delight in God and in the many, many blessings that he pours out on us like Niagara Falls on a daily basis. And whether you're a teacup or a barrel, it takes a second to be filled when you're under that flow, right? And we're all different sizes and shapes, and some of us need to be, some of us are barrels, and we're kind of needy, that's probably me, I need a lot of encouragement, you know, and some of us are teacups, we don't need as much as someone else, but we all need the waterfall, and we all need to be filled by him. Hey, uh, it's been a kind of a heavy weekend for the Southeast, huh? With Florence dumping trillions and trillions and trillions of water on part of our country that doesn't need that much. And uh, it's turned a lot of people's lives upside down. And that was us a year ago, wasn't it? It was you a year ago, not me. I was in Boone, North Carolina, (laughs) way high up. Of course, they're having, they're getting more of Florence than we are this weekend starting today and tomorrow. Hey, in whom do you trust? And where do you find confidence? Those are really kind of the same question, but different. In whom do you really trust? Where is your functional trust on a daily basis? Where do you draw confidence? From whom do you draw confidence when you're feeling weak need? Extreme situations have a way of exposing our functional sources of trust. We can say we trust God, But functionally, do you really run to him first when you find yourself in a situation? I was listening to Z88 on Friday, and they were sharing a Hurricane Irma story. A little girl and her mom were at home during the hurricane, and they were in a closet. And the little girl was reading Bible stories to herself and to her mother to deal with the extreme fear of the 105-mile-per-hour sustained winds that they were listening to outside. The little girl, they had a cell phone. They called the station during the hurricane and told one of the DJs that she was sitting inside the closet with her mother, listening to the radio, along with the howl of the winds. And the little girl said that they'd gotten her Bible and were reading Bible stories out loud. They were afraid And they were seeking God. Reading the Bible stories was helping them. The Z88 host then said that the mother had never read the Bible before. And she was hearing her daughter read children's stories out of the Bible. The host said that the little girl called back one week later and after the storm was gone, 
The little girl shared that she and her mom were still reading the Bible after the storm and taking in God's story daily. Is it not true that trials have their way of driving us to our sources of trust? Sometimes to our knees and into the presence of God or on our face into the presence of God. Sometimes on our knees in our closet during a hurricane into the presence of God. The God that we hope is there. The God that we hope is powerful. The God that we hope cares about even us on our knees in our closet. Today, we are continuing a series in the book of Psalms. And I'm unpacking a spiritual song this morning. Because that's what the Psalms are. They're song lyrics. I think we need to remember that. We just sang some cool songs. You know, what is it about songs? Why did this central book in God's scripture, why is it in there? 150 song lyrics. Why? What is up with that? King David wrote this psalm, Psalm 16. It's on the back of your bulletin, and I'm going to refer to that in a minute. So if you have your bulletin, you might want to just keep it handy. Don't read it. Don't look at the announcements, like Craig said during the sermon. (laughs) Thank you, Craig. So King David wrote this song during a time when he may have been feeling vulnerable. He wrote it, and we know if you're a singer-songwriter, when you write a song, you sing it to yourself a lot as you're writing it. But you also sing it because you expect it to be heard by others. So David wrote it. He sung it to himself. We know that David had his songs sung in worship. Um, But we also see that David was speaking faith to his own fears. David was writing a song to God for the people, but he was also communicating even to his own soul. So why song lyrics, God? Why is it about song lyrics? What is it about song lyrics that would warrant you using such a vehicle to communicate eternal, transforming truths? I was at the Winter Park Y. I swam, stand about 12 laps, and, uh, and I was tired. Anyway, I swam, went with my daughter. We go there a lot. And I was in the locker room. I won't go into any more greater detail, but I was whistling, and I whistle a lot. When I was little at the swim club, I swam a lot in the summer. My nickname was Teapot. So I whistle a lot. So I was whistling at the Winter Park Y, and then I realized what song I was whistling, and I was whistling this little light of mine. And I realized I was whistling this little light of mine. And you know, the Winter Park Y, I mean, there's men in there, obviously, in the men's locker room. And and these are a lot of men of stature and, you know, business and all that. And I was embarrassed. (laughs) Then I was whistling this little light of mine. And what was interesting was I first realized that I I recognized the tune I was whistling. And then then the words came right to me. I'm going, and it struck me because I've been preparing for this sermon. It's like, where did that come from? You know, where did it come? It came from pretty deep within inside Chuck Berry. Why? Because it's in there. It's been sung into my heart by myself, by my children, by church communities through the years, different children's programs. It's been sung into my heart. And guess what? It just popped out at the Winter Park Y in the men's locker room. Weird. 
But I connected with God right then and there and remembered who I was and who he is. And it just kind of ordered things in my mind and in my heart. And even the realization that I was embarrassed. Why am I ashamed of this message? What is it deep inside Chuck Berry that is ashamed of God's truth? Could that be showing something to me of myself that I need to be in contact with on a daily basis everywhere I go? So, why song lyrics? I asked my daughter, Anna Beth, she's a singer-songwriter herself. I asked her about song lyrics. And uh, I, I said, um, how, how does song lyrics serve you as a unique mode of expression? Here's what she said. I asked her permission to share this. And then I told her, man, you sound like John Calvin. And she was impressed. <laughs> That's my next quote is John Calvin. She said, quote, when you write music, it allows you to be more honest with your feelings. When you're talking, like I'm doing now, or teaching someone, you aren't thinking about yourself. You're adjusting your thoughts to communicate with another person. When you write songs, it's kind of like you're speaking to your deeper self or to your soul. The writer can say how they feel, exactly how they feel it. And the people who listen to their songs can connect and interpret it in their own way, depending on how they feel. And then she said this, I think that's why people like the psalm so much, because it's poetic and vulnerable and applicable to life when it comes straight out of another person's deepest self. Wow. John Calvin wrote this in July 1557, speaking about the Psalms. Quote, I have been accustomed to call this book, the Psalms, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, quote, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. Don't you love that? I'm going to tell my daughter, I'm just having this thought at this moment. My daughter, Annabeth, questions things deeply and at younger ages has asked me and shared with me you know her struggle to really believe the gospel and believe the bible and i remember telling her long ago and i'm gonna i'm that's the aha i'm having right now the reason my daughter annabeth and her quote sounded similar to john calvin in his quote is because there is evidence of the same spirit in John Calvin, mighty giant theologian, and Anna Beth Berry, daughter number three, Montreat Jr., studying outdoor education and environmental science. Same spirit. So what emanates out of them? Same truth. The same appreciation for God's word in song lyrics that are designed by God to be spoken, to be sung, to be sung as worship, to be meditated on, to be washed over. And I hope you were washed over this morning. 
and to be sung over and over again, drilled into your hearts. Guys and gals, we are so dense, we need repetition. Sometimes we get uppity and we go, I don't like songs that are repetitive. I'm sorry. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I need to be reminded of that over and over and over. I need to hear it over and over. Our songs, a couple of them this morning were repetitive. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. How many times are you going to have to say it until you really believe it? A lot. So let me read the psalm. It's on the back of your bulletin. Then I'm going to pray and we'll launch in. Psalm 16. Hear the word of God. This is King David. Out of the heart of King David comes these song lyrics. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pray with me, please. Father God, preserve me, shelter me, keep me, watch over me, for in you, I take refuge. Father, my soul says to you, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Father, you are my chosen portion and my cup. You are my lot. You are my inheritance. You are my counselor. You are my instruction. And I praise you and thank you that because of everything you've done, everything you've done, I find you at my right hand. Therefore, Father, enable us, enable me to be glad and to rejoice because of how incredibly secure in you, in things that really matter, incredibly secure, standing on the rock, stable, immovable, unchangeable, 
held, kept from eternity to eternity. Thank you, Lord. Father, your word says you sing over us this morning. Sing your truth into our souls this morning, even now, by Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, this song of David's begins. Oh, I'm going to ask you to do something. Everybody take out your bulletin. You need a writing utensil for this. Okay. If you don't have one, I'm sorry, borrow one or just look off, look off your neighbors. The psalm is on the back. I want you to circle some words with me. Okay. In verse one, I want you to circle the word refuge. Circle the word refuge. I'm sorry, verse one, yeah. Verse two, circle good, the word good. In verse three, circle delight. In verse five, circle portion and the word cup. And the word lot. In verse six, circle the word inheritance. In verse seven, circle the word counsel. And then I want you to put a box around verse 8 that says, I have set the Lord always before me. Let's put a box around that and a star by it. I'll explain why in a minute. And then underline the word therefore in verse 9. Put a box around verse 10. Isn't this cool? You're not just sitting there listening. You got to do something. Put a box around verse 10. And then I want you to circle in verse 11, circle path of life. The words path of life. Circle fullness of joy. All right. That's all. Verse one, David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. We don't know exactly what David was dealing with when he wrote this lyric. But we do see whom David turns, don't we? We know who he's speaking to. And he starts this song with a plea, with a request, with a prayer. And it's one of humility, because what is he asking for? He says, preserve me, O God. To preserve is to protect like a shepherd, to shelter from, like a strong building in a hurricane. Guard over me, watch out for me. David is crying out to his God for protection and perseverance. That's how he begins this song, from a position of humility, from a a stance of need, and he goes to his God. And the word God in this verse is the Hebrew word. It's just El, E-L. It's really simple. And that's the first name of God that he uses in these first two verses. And that basically means strong one, almighty one. So clearly, who would you go to to ask for protection? A almighty one, yes. Oh God, preserve me, he says. And then he says, for in you I take refuge. He is declaring 
where he is placing his trust, in whom he is putting his faith. In you, I take refuge. In you, I take refuge. So now we move to verse two. And David begins these meditations and declarations. But there's an interesting thing. In the ESV, it starts out, I say to you, I say to the Lord. In some older translations, this verse starts with, Oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord. Oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord. That's really interesting. And I understand why the translators, you know, wrote, I say to you, but there's something we're missing in the English. The reason some translators put, oh, my soul, oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord is because um, the verb in this sentence, the Hebrew verb you have said is feminine. And we know David's masculine. So this is not just David, masculine David saying something. There's something the language is trying to tell us here. The verb is feminine. And guess what? The noun soul, which all of us have, men and women, we all have a soul. The Hebrew word for soul is feminine. So because this verb is you have said, we're missing something simply by saying, David said, I say to you, Lord, we're missing something. David is speaking to the Lord, but he's also speaking to his soul. From his soul. What is he doing? David is speaking to himself and to God at the same time. David is speaking encouragement to his soul. He is saying to himself and to God. Does that make sense? There are songs when you sing them and you get caught up in the lyrics and you're singing the words, you're singing these, these great convictions. Who are you speaking to? Certainly to God, yes, but what do I need to hear? I need to hear how great God is. And I get bathed, if you will, by the singing. When we gather together for worship, I'm bathed in his truth by the singing of his word. That's awesome. Don't miss that. I wanted you to catch that. I say to you, Lord, you are my Lord. Here's what's another interesting thing. In verse 2, he uses two more different Hebrew words for Lord. In English, it's just Lord. The first Lord, I say to you, Lord, that is Jehovah. That is the proper name of God that God gave Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. And Jehovah is a different form of that because the Jews didn't want to say that word out loud. So they found different ways of putting different vowels together with the consonants, the four consonants of the word Yahweh and they put different vowel pinnings with those words and came up with different ways of saying it without actually saying it. So it says, I say to my Lord, Jehovah, what is Jehovah? Jehovah is that personal name. Remember, 
Moses said to God, what if the Israelites ask me the name of the one who sent me? Who, who, who do I say you are? And God says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So Jehovah is the I am. So David is saying, I say to Jehovah, I say to the I am that is self-sufficient, that exists in himself. He needs no one and nothing. I am that I am. He is the only one that is not because of something. He just is. Did you know all of us is because of someone? We are because God created us. But God is and always has been, not because anybody or any power or anything created him. He always has been, and he is, and he always will be. He's the only being like that. Pete's been teaching us about that. He did this summer when we studied Awesome God. So David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Well, now he uses a different word. We have Lord, Lord in that second verse. Now he uses the word Adonai. Adonai is a word that could be translated master. And it doesn't necessarily mean divine master. It also was used for human masters. So what is David saying? He's saying, I said to my God, Jehovah, the I am that I am, you are my master. You are my supreme authority. The God who is, who is all powerful, the God who is self-existent, you are my master. You are my authority. I am under you. I put myself under you. Do you see the distinction? You missed that reading it in English. I say to my Lord, you are my Lord. Mm. Three words for God David's already used in the first two verses. Let that wash over you. Yes, you have an all-powerful God. He is self-existent. He never was created. He always has been. He always will be. That's the one that's all-powerful. And that is the one that loves you. And that is the one that calls you to live in submission under him. Why? Because he's good. He's so good that your goodness cannot extend to his character. You have nothing in your, on your best spiritual day. You have nothing you can add to God. God is good in and of himself, full, complete. That's another definition. Another way of looking at this word, the Hebrew word for good, means completeness. God is complete. He doesn't need to be completed by anything you have or anything you can add to him. There's nothing you can do. Your goodness will never extend far enough to obligate God to do anything for you. Because sometimes we operate that way in this world, right? If I do good to you, I expect you to do good back to me. You give me a Christmas present, then I'll give you a Christmas present. It's just tit for tat, tit for tat. Tit. That ain't how God works. God is complete, full, needs nothing, doesn't need you. Doesn't ask you to be good because he needs you to be good for him. Not it. This God, this El, this Jehovah, this Adonai loves you and wants a relationship with you and wants you to flourish as his being in proper position under him. He wants you to experience his goodness. He wants you to flesh out his goodness. He wants you to reflect his goodness. Why? Because in that you will thrive. In that you will experience joy. In that you will experience purpose. In that you will experience 
You with me? In that you will experience him. In the New Testament, there's a similar phrase. It's Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. We use two words to describe Jesus. It's exactly the same with these two Hebrew words. Not exactly, but you know what I'm talking about. I need a Savior who's powerful enough to rescue me, but I also need a Lord who is master, who's my teacher, who shows me how to live and how to walk. I have no good apart from you. Another translation puts it, my, well, my well-doing cannot extend to you. I've already covered that a little bit. Only, and here's the kicker, only our creator God can fill us because he designed us to be filled only by him. Only our creator God can fill us with what we need. He needs nothing. He's complete, self-sufficient. We are not. James 1, I love it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is just the first verse of a song. This is deep. Let it wash over you. Let God's word wash over you. The big application in this psalm, I ask you to put a box around. I have set the Lord before me. I'm, gonna, I'm not done by any means, but I'm going to say, here's the big application. Because you always want to, did I get anything out of the message this morning? Was the message applicable? I hope it is. The application of this is, number one, songs matter. The songs you choose to listen to over and over and over again, the message of that song gets into your being. Song will come on the radio. You know, I'm on a secular station. Some song from... 1979, you know, when I was a sophomore in college. I remember the next line. I remember the name of the group. I remember details about the name of the group. I remember where I was when I listened to that song, Comfortably Numb, by Pink Floyd every night before I went out on a date. (laughs) You want to know why I'm so screwed up? That was my song. Comfortably Numb. My wife is going, that explains so much. Comfortably numb, I would check out to a message that encouraged me to totally check out, and I thought I was cool. Good night. What have you set yourself in? What does David say? I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. What are you setting your mind and heart in on a daily basis? Our minds are like sponges. Whatever you stick a sponge in, what does it do? Soaks it up. What messages are you setting your mind in? Who are you listening to? What are you listening to? What books are you reading? What authorities are you setting yourself under? What is David saying? I have set the Lord always always before me. Always. Wow. There's your application. How you doing with that? What do you read? What do you listen to? How do you entertain yourself? What do you meditate on? Where do you go to get entertained? Who do you put yourself under? So that you're learning every day. 
I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So anyway, what does David do? In verse 3, he goes back and he makes a comparison. He makes a comparison between those who have set the Lord before them as their trust and those who haven't. And interestingly enough, he describes worshiping God versus idolizing things of this world, doesn't he? He said, they're the excellent ones. Who are the excellent ones? I delight in them. Why? Why do you delight in people who delight in God? And why do you reject and move away from people who are worshiping idols? That's what he's saying. I delight in them. Why? Because in them is my delight. Right? God doesn't need anything. But God calls us to love him and to love others. And he gives us all these prescriptions in scripture about how to love one another. You can't love God because, I mean, you can love God. He calls you to. But he doesn't need you. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need anything you can give him. But his people do, right? We all need love. Who has God put in my life for me to receive the love of God? You. I am called to this community. You are called to this community. You're not going to be able to love this community on Sunday for an hour, an hour and a half. How are you putting yourself in this community so that you can know each other and love one another? In small groups? in regular meetings. And what's the focal point of those groups? It ought to be what? It ought to be God through the means he's given us, through the means of grace and worship together. But also when we're together, we talk about God. We talk about his word. We ask each other questions. We encourage one another. We sing to one another. We pray for one another. We, are we doing that? Are you engaged that way? You need to be engaged that way. David was engaged that way. Why do you need it? because God's designed you for it. In the context of community, you will thrive. So he, in verse three and four, he compares those two things. And it's interesting. He points out that the sorrows of those who commit idolatry will multiply. Why? Because they rejected God, Jehovah, Adonai master. And God is the only one who can fill that insatiable inner hunger and thirst that can't be satisfied by anything else. So if you reject God, you're cutting yourself off from the only one who can fully satisfy. And David vows not to participate in that idolatrous worship. Then in verses five through eight, David describes four blessings. I'm going to name them real pretty quickly. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. What is he saying there? He's basically saying, God, you're my food and drink. Some of us love food and drink too much. Some of, us, some of us love certain food and drink too much. What is it about food? Why does it get under my skin? Why is it hard to manage what I eat? Why do I love food so much? Because I got to do it every day. It's a daily thing. And I can choose to derive pleasure and comfort from kinds of food. I can even idolize food. What has David said? He knows this. He had every kind of food imaginable available to him at all times as King David. What does he say? You, God, are my food. You are my portion and my cup. You're my food and my drink. You. That's what he's saying here. And then he says, you are my lot. That's interesting. You are my lot. What does that mean? I can't get into it very deeply. 
But some commentators think what that means is that has to do with inheritance. But God decides what your lot is. He decides if you're lower income, middle income, or upper middle income, or top echelon. He decides. He gives us gifts and abilities. He puts you where you are. He birthed you into the family you're in, gave you the education, the opportunities you had, gave you the gifts and abilities you have. God is my lot. He decides my circumstances. I am not in Boone this morning. I'm standing in Orangewood in Maitland, Florida. Why? God is my lot. He picks us up and puts us down. He leads and guides us. He's in charge of my circumstances. He is my food and drink. He is my lot. And then David goes on. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You know the Levites? When Moses divided up the land, because that's what they got. They moved into the promised land. Each of the tribes got a hunk of land. Guess who didn't get any land? The Levites. What? They're the priests. They're the guys that work in the temple. They didn't get any land. And you're going, bummer. They got ripped off. No, in God's economy, they got the best deal ever. Because you know what God said? Your inheritance, Levites, is me. You, I am your inheritance. You don't need land to grow animals so you can eat because guess what? Every sacrifice that comes to the tabernacle or the temple is yours, Levites. The people are going to bring the food to you and you get to eat. Isn't that amazing? The Levites' inheritance was who? The Lord himself. And that is us, is it not as believers? Who is our inheritance? It's not what? It's not a bunch of money in a bank account or some property that when we die, it all goes to somebody else anyway. It's now, it's present, it's him. He is my lot. He is your lot. He is your security. He is your strong tower. He is your refuge. Okay, look back here. I ask you to circle a bunch of words. Follow with me. And amen if you want. Or not. He is my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my goodness. He is my righteousness. Not anything I can muster together in effort and work this week that I can offer to him and obligate him to bless me. That's not how it works. He is my righteousness. I have Christ's goodness credited to me. Why? Because I trust that he is my Lord and my Savior. He is my delight. Maybe that's why you're so humdrum and down these days because you're looking for things in this world to make you delightful. Your team didn't win. Who cares? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> where is your delight? It's coming from the nachos and cheese at halftime at the game where my team didn't win. At least I can find delight in the nachos and cheese. No, my delight is in him. He is my refuge. He is my goodness. He is my delight. He is my food and drink. He is my lot. He is my inheritance. He is my counsel and my instructor. In him, my heart is glad. In him, my whole being rejoices. Because when your heart is full, what does your mouth do? Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. He is filling me. I cannot not worship, David says. He is everything to me. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. And then in verse 10, got to hit this bizarre verse. Look at that. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One see corruption. A lot of commentators writing about that verse. You know why? 
David, whether he realized it or not, and I think he was somewhat conscious of what he was writing because Peter, in his Pentecost sermon, says so. In this verse of his song, he is stating that David's descendant that God promised him that would sit on the throne of David forever would beat death, would not see corruption by death. David, in this Psalm 16, is prophesying the resurrection of the Jesus Christ that David did not know by name, but he did know that whoever this spirit, this being was, that Jesus was his refuge, his goodness, his delight, his portion, his food, his inheritance, his counsel. He knew Jesus. He just didn't know the Jesus we know because he hadn't come yet. But he knew him, right? And he delighted in him already. And that's what made his heart glad. If I were to ask you before I started this sermon, I would say, doesn't everyone in here want their heart to be glad this morning? Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't everyone in here like your whole being to be filled with delight to the point of overflow and rejoicing? Wouldn't everyone in here want that? And wouldn't you want to know that no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens, even to your body, there's something about you that is so secure and so eternal, you're going to get a new one anyway. It's going to be far better than this decaying one. Could we live in such assurance on a daily basis that we walk around like we're walking under Niagara Falls and all we're doing is spilling over to the people we come in contact with? Why? Because Jesus is our focal point, our eyes fixed on him. Moment by moment, we put ourselves in the presence of his people. We put ourselves under his word. We read it regularly. I brought two books, another application, John Calvin, Heart of Flame, great daily devotional. You can be in the Psalms every day. Good stuff in here. Tim Keller, The Songs of Jesus, daily devotional. Good book right here. What are you doing when you read these? You're putting yourself under the stream. You're aligning your heart with his heart. You're asking him, preserve me, God. Show me your word. Teach me. Make me confident in you. And help me reject the things of this world that don't satisfy. Ooh. Lord. So good. He's so good to us. He's here. He's in this room. He wants you to draw near to him. What does it start with? It starts with humility. Preserve me, O oh God. Save me, O oh God. When Paul, when Peter preached that sermon at Pentecost and he preached this text and he said, David's body is in a grave. It corrupted. It decayed. David was not talking about David in verse 10. He was talking about the Savior, his own descendant that was coming. He had hope in that promise. He believed in that promise. And look what it did for him. It secured him. At his right hand was stability. He stood on a rock that could not be shaken. Don't you want that? Where does that come from? By trusting in Jesus. When Peter shared that sermon message and he said, God the Father crushed his son, but it's because of you. You, you stirred up your leaders. Your leaders crucified Jesus. Peter was basically saying to his audience, this is on you. Jesus' death's on you. And he shared with him Psalm 16. And at the end of the sermon, 
The, the people, when I, at the end of the message, before the message was over, the people are going, what do we do? I realize you're right. I realize I'm an idolatrous. I deserve God's wrath. I killed the Savior. My influence helped kill the Savior. What do we do? What does he say? Just repent and believe. Believe in the Savior that David speaks of in Psalm 16. Put your trust, surrender, yield, give up, and say, God, come. Through the power of your spirit, enable me to believe the good news that Jesus Christ is my champion, my redeemer, my savior, and he is my master, and he's my king, and he's my counselor in the middle of the night when I'm terrified, and he's my comforter, and he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is my strong tower. He is my refuge. Surrender and give your heart to him. Pray with me. Father God, please come. You're here. Tear down the barriers in our minds and hearts. Help us admit, Father, that too often we listen to the wrong voices. We put ourselves under the wrong kind of messages and teaching. Lord, we need to wash our minds and hearts with truth, with your word. We need to meditate on it. We need to sing it. We need to hear it be sung. We need to let it wash over us. We need to realize that in it is truth and that you sing over us even this morning. You sing truth into our hearts. So, Father, saturate our souls and deepen, deepen our surrender for those who have already surrendered to you in their life. But, Lord, there may be some who have yet to give their life over to you. So, Lord, even if there's someone like that this morning, may they, may they surrender. May they agree with you that they're broken and that they're idol factories. They have a tendency to serve and worship and seek things of this world and not the creator of this world. But they see there's something inside them. It's wooing them. It's calling them to trust Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the author and perfecter of faith and the director of every detail of our lives by his providence. So come, receive Christ afresh, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, and acknowledge through Psalm 16 that he is your everything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.